Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. This book is amazing. Does anybody else agree with me that this book is absolutely amazing? This isn't even just a book. Like we've been saying, this is a library. This contains the best stories. You know, love, murder, thrillers, betrayal, despair, hope. It has the best stories. This contains the best teaching. This book is full of the greatest truths, truths that will transform your lives. This book is amazing. You know, this is literally the Word of God. It's like God's words we have on paper. And we can grab this anytime we want. You can get this for free online and download it on your phone and hear what God has to say to you today, anywhere you are. This book is amazing. And you know, sometimes I think we get really excited for for truth and truth when we put it to music and, and, and we get excited for worship. We get excited in prayer when someone prays something and we believe that's true. And I think we should be getting just as excited in this time as we're reading the words of God that, that as we speak truth, we should be getting excited. Because this, is, this should be resonating with our soul. And so if you're here and you're new, I just want to tell you, like, I know we're in a cinema, but you don't have to stay quiet. It's the one time you don't have to stay quiet in the cinema. You know, talk back, say yeah, say aha, uh-huh. say I agree, say me too, say something. And, and as you do, what you actually do is you encourage everybody around you as well. And it just takes what we're doing to a whole nother level. So thank you for being part of this because I think that this book is genuinely amazing. And, and if I'm honest, my favorite bits of this book are the stories of hope. Now, I was thinking this morning about, about the things that I've been sharing so far this year. And I realized everything I've shared with you today has been about hope. I started by explaining how hope is, is the belief that God is working for you even when you can't see it. Even when it looks like the opposite, hope is understanding that God is there behind the scenes and he's shifting things on your behalf. I then talked about David and I talked about fights and struggles and hope is understanding that even in your hardest battles, God is using that battle to equip you for your future fights. That even when it looks like you're in the middle of a war, God is promoting you. God is equipping you. God is building you through everything that comes against you. It only makes you stronger. That's hope. And last week we talked about hope in despair. Those times when people experience the lowest moments and they feel like life can't go on, that God brings hope. And he calls you out and he says, you know what? There is a future for you. The best is still to come. There's more. I've got a great plan for you. And, and, And maybe you're even here today and you feel that still. You feel like you're in a cave of despair. And I want, to, I want to just encourage you to get onto Facebook and to look at our videos because we record all of these talks and we put them on Facebook and we keep them there so that you can go back to them. And maybe you've got friends who struggle with these things as well. You can share them. You can share hope just with one click. I'd love to encourage you to do that. Today, I want to keep on talking about hope. And I want to talk about hope in the ordinary. Hope in the life of the mundane, when, when things are just ticking along. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is where I need the most hope in my life. 
because I think I do all right in the battles because I recognize them for what they are. I do all right in the dark times when I realize that God is with me and he calls me out. But it's the every day. And you know, like I'll, I'll go online and I'll listen to a podcast by Rick Warren while I'm doing my rotors and I'm like, Rick Warren doesn't have to do rotors. And I'll be doing my health and safety checks and I'll be thinking, Rick Warren doesn't have to do health and safety checks. And I'll start comparing myself with Rick Warren and be like, oh, he has this amazing life and, and he has this church of like a million people. And everything that he says is written in a book and he just has it easy and it's wonderful and he's great. And, and we do that, don't we? And we start compare our mundane and our ordinary to somebody else's great and we think, why can't I have a great life? And then the things that were privileges become obligations. You know, the stuff that before we got to do, we start to think like we have to do it. And it loses its passion and it loses its zeal. And um, I sometimes think about that verse where Jesus says, uh, greater things than these will you do? Greater things than these. This is Jesus. And I think, what is this guy talking about? Greater things than these. I tell you, can I do a little confession thing? Once I tried to walk on water. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I tried it. Has any, honestly, honestly, has anybody else ever tried? Yeah, look around. Loads of us have tried. I went to the swimming pool and I was like, well, he said, didn't he? Greater things. I should be able to do this. And I stepped out. And then I face planted. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was so bad. Um, but it's because I believe this verse. And I'm like, well, how does this make sense when my life is so mundane and ordinary that Jesus is saying even greater things? And, and I wrestle with this. And I think that Jesus isn't saying that you're going to do greater things than him and that you're going to do more amazing miracles. If you think you're going to be better than Jesus, I've got a wake-up call for you today. You're probably not. But what I think he's saying is, with him, in his spirit, you can do greater things than the ordinary. That you can live an extraordinary life. And that's the hope that I want to speak into you today, that God has got more for you. That when it feels like everything is average, there's more coming. So we're going to look at a story of a guy called Elisha. And this is like, it gets confusing because there's two guys. One's called Elijah, one's called Elisha. And, and I'll be honest, I mix them up all the time. I never know who did what. Um, but Elijah, he is who we were talking about last week. And he is like the Don. He is this incredible prophet. He does the most amazing miracles. He's literally the greatest prophet today in the Bible. And Elisha is a farm boy. He's not a priest, he's not a monk, he's just this ordinary guy living on a farm. But he, he kind of has this amazing request. And he says to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. And if you follow Elisha's story, he goes on to perform twice the miracles, to perform twice as good miracles as Elijah. In fact, if you read the Bible, he's the most powerful prophet with the exception of Jesus that you'll find in the entire scriptures. This guy is amazing. So we're going to jump straight into the Bible today, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'm going to just pick up right from where we left off last week. Elijah has been suffering with depression. He's been in this cave and he comes out smelling all kind of musky and, and, and cave-esque, and he goes looking for somebody who he can invest his life in. He goes looking for somebody that he can mentor, somebody who will continue after him. 
So we're going to 1 Kings 19 verse 19. The screen has gone down behind me, which is a fantastic opportunity for me to say, get your own Bible, bring it to church. You should have your own Bible. If you don't have your own Bible, you can get it for free on your phone if you want a paper one. I get like hundreds of Bibles given to me. Well, my, Emma is desperate for me to get my Bible collection shorter, so I'll give you a Bible. I'll just give you a Bible if you need one, but get your own Bible and read it for yourself because it's so powerful. But I'll read for you 1 Kings 19 verse 19. It says, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. So, so Elisha is just this farmer and he's got 12 oxen. And every single day, he is behind these 12 oxen. Can you imagine what his perspective on life looks like? It looks like ox butt. That's all that he sees every single day. Monday, he gets to see ox butt. Tuesday, an ox's backside is in his face. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all day, he is at the rear end of an ox, and I bet it smelled wonderful. And I imagine his days, you know, you get up, you go to work, you cough up some dust, he has his lunch, he does some more plowing, coughs up a little bit more dust, washes, has dinner, goes to bed, gets up, goes to work, plows, coughs up dust, has some lunch, does a bit more plowing, coughs up a bit more dust, goes to bed, gets up, and it goes on and on and on. And it's not glamorous, it's not glamorous, but it, it pay the bills, it provides for him every single day. And maybe your life actually resonates a little bit like this at the moment. Maybe you're in sales and it's like every day you're just trying to meet that quota. And you work and you work and you make your sales and you hit that quota and it just feels like a big fat ox butt in your face. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you're a student and you study all day, you work all night, pay your bills. Study all day, work all night, study all day, work all night. And it just goes on and on. Maybe you're, you're a stay-at-home mum or stay-at-home dad. And, and it's like, it's nappies. And then it's dishes. And then it's laundry. And then it's more nappies. And it's more dishes. And it's more laundry. And it never stops. And some days your house smells like ox butt. <laughs> and, and we can be like that in church as well. We just go around the motions. You know, we just get into it. We're like, well, this is my seat, D37. I'll come and sit here, I'll stand up, I'll do the worship thing, I'll sit down, I'll give a little bit of money in the offering, I'll stand up, I'll sit down, I'll clap when Ben says something really inspiring. And it's like, you can just get behind this. Thank you, thank you, thank you everybody. You picked up on my subtle plea for affection. <laughs> and we can feel like this, and, and the thing is, when your life is stuck behind an ox, it's easy to lose passion. And it's easy to lose your dreams. And this is Elisha. But note, like, Elisha's being totally faithful in this. He's not complaining. He's being so faithful with what God has put right in front of him. And so this, this wild-eyed, crazy prophet, because I said last week all prophets have to be wild-eyed and crazy in my imagination, he turns up and he knocks on. He doesn't even say anything. This is, like, amazing. I love this story. He doesn't even say anything. He just rocks up, walks up behind this guy, puts a coat on his shoulder, and legs it. Like, it's, it's madness. This is what Elijah does. He, he walks up behind him, puts a coat on his shoulder, and runs away. And Elisha leaves the oxen straight away. He leaves them standing there, and he runs after Elijah. 
And what we discover in this moment is that God has been talking about Elisha behind his back. That while Elisha has been plowing, while Elisha has been with all of these ox, God has been talking about Elisha with Elijah. And I want you to know today that God is talking about you behind your back. <laughs> that as, <laughs> that's so good, thank you for that feedback. That as, as you're there and you're plowing away, God is making plans about you. And the first step for you to realize the greater that God has for your life is to understand how present and how close he actually is. That he is there. And maybe you don't even, I don't know how that makes you feel, if I'm honest. I don't know how you feel about God being present, about God speaking about you behind your back. You know, some of us were like, well, I'm not, I don't like the sound of that. I, I don't, what will he say about me? And I want to tell you, it's not something to be weirded out by. This isn't an idea to kind of freak out because everything that God has to say about you is for your benefit. Everything that God has to say about you is love. That he has such amazing dreams for you. You want God talking about you behind your back because he is planning for the best for your life. And so he is talking about Elisha when Elisha has no idea. He's saying to Elijah, let's call this guy. Let's see him. He is going to go on and do greater things. And so he goes. And then, as I said, like Elijah throws this, this coat on his back. And the coat represents the office of the prophet. It's like his uniform. It's like he dresses him up and says, everything that I have, I see in you. And Elisha doesn't wait. You know, he doesn't need to know all the details. He doesn't need to know the big picture to start moving. He just runs. I think sometimes God calls us and we're like, yeah, but Jesus, what's the five-year plan? And what we really mean when we say that is, give me all the details so I don't have to rely on you. Jesus doesn't want to give you the five-year plan because he wants to take you every step of the journey. He doesn't want to give you the destination because he wants to be your navigation system. You know, sometimes God will only give you today because he wants you to rely on him every day. And then tomorrow, he'll give you tomorrow. And the day after that, he'll give you the day after that. Sometimes God only speaks with one word. Do you have the faith to respond when God speaks with one word? To Abraham, he said, go. It doesn't tell him where. Just go. Peter's in a boat. Jesus says, come. That's it. That's all Peter got. Come. And he has to step out onto the water. And I read this and I'm like, I wonder how he was able to respond so fast. He wasn't like, uh, sorry, Elijah, I need to call my pastor. Uh, I need to make two lists of all the positives and all the negatives and then weigh up whether I should accept this mantle of office that you are placing on me. He doesn't do any of that. He just runs. And I think, and this isn't in the Bible, this is just, I think, I think that he already made his decision way before Elijah got there. I think that there was a day and he was in the field and he said, do you know what, God, if you call me, the answer is yes. You know, I don't need to know the details. I don't need to know what you're calling me to. I don't need to know where you're taking me. The answer is already yes. Like he made a pre-decision. I heard someone call it a precision. He made a pre-decision. He'd already decided. He said, he said, before you speak, whatever you want to say, the answer is already yes. Because I know that you're speaking about me behind my back. I know your character, God. I know that you love me. I know that you have more for me. So whatever you call me to, the answer is already yes. Wherever you want me to go, the answer is already yes. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to run 
because I want to be in the center of your plans because you're the only one who has seen my tomorrow. So why am I talking to everybody else when God who's seen my tomorrow has told me which way to go? So I trust you. I trust you that in my ordinary, you're going to lead me to greater. So Elisha, he runs. And it says that that he leaves the oxen standing there. He runs after Elijah and he says to him, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I'll go with you. And then, and this is where it gets a little bit weird, Elisha returns to his oxen and slaughters them. He then uses the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh, passes around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And he went with Elijah as his assistant. Let me put this in perspective. It's a little bit like God calls you and tells you to move house. So you burn down your home. It's, it's like, it's, it makes no sense. Why would you do that? Like God's saying you should leave McDonald's and get a new job. So you burn it down and run really fast. It's like this, is, this seems really irresponsible, doesn't it? And like some of us, like we don't like wasting anything. You, some of you, and I believe most of you are women who do this, you can't throw anything away. You get like a carton and you'll be like, this carton of milk, one day my kid might make something amazing out of this. I'm just going to keep this. I'm just going to keep this just in case. Like we do that. And Elisha is like, he's just wasting really good plows. He's wasting really good oxen. He could have given those to the poor. He could have given those to somebody else. What is he doing? And what he's doing is so symbolic. He's saying, I'm not going to have a plan B. He's saying, I'm not going to stand there wondering what life was like back there. I I don't need this plow anymore. This is my past. I'm going to move on to the future because I believe that you're going to provide every single step for me. Do you know what? I believe that God uses the most those that hold on to the least. God uses the most those that hold on to the least. You know, that plow, it represents everything that keeps you in the ordinary. I look at this church, and if I'm honest, I don't think most of us are in danger of ruining our lives. Like, maybe you're really good at dressing up for a Sunday, but I don't see a church full of gangsters. You know, I don't see a church full of drug addicts. I don't think we're in danger of ruining our lives. But I think a lot of us are in danger of wasting them. And God is calling us to go to greater and greater things. Elisha Elisha doesn't want that. You know, this plow, it represents all those things that are stopping you from stepping into what God has for you. Like maybe for you, it's it's a job that stands in the way of your calling. Maybe it's a way of thinking that stops you from stepping out of the boat. Maybe it represents a relationship. Maybe it represents a faith step. But that plow, it says you're not going to go back. That the plow is burnt. And, and I understand this way of thinking. Like I remember me and Emma, we were down in Surrey. And one night, about midnight, I was praying and I felt like God said, go to Manchester. And that was, that was as much. Go to Manchester and plant a church. So the next opportunity we had, like a week later, we went up to Manchester and we walked around and we prayed. Went back down to Surrey. The next day we handed in our resignations and our jobs. We didn't know what we were moving to. We just knew that God told us to move. We took our savings. We took anything that could fit in a truck. We had a house in Manchester that the wits offered us for two months. And that was it. That was all we knew. And we were like, we're just going to burn all of that. We don't have a plan B. Either God rescues us or we're going to die trying. But I'd rather do that than stay on the farm. You know, it's costly to follow God. 
but it costs so much more to stay plowing that field when God has called you on to greater things. You just have to go. You just have to burn the plow. And this is what he does. And, and I wonder what he thought he was going into. I wonder if he thought he was just going to step into it and everything was going to be there and everything was going to be ready and everything was going to be sorted. And as I read the story, that's not actually the case at all. What actually happens next is he ends up really doing mundane things, following somebody else. I imagine him as the tea boy of Elijah, just serving him. And for years he does that. And then we can pick up the story, and it's in 2 Kings now, chapter 2. And I'm going to jump in at verse 8. And he's been following around Elijah for the rest of Elijah's ministry. And Elijah's now getting to the end of his time. And, and, they, and, he, and he tells them, and everybody knows that it's coming to the end of his time. And Elijah uh, and Elisha, they end up next to this river, next to the River Jordan. And if you've never seen the River Jordan, it's not like a piddly little stream. Like this is, like, can I say a badass river in church? It's a badass river. I already said it twice. <laughs> it's it's this, this big river. And Elijah, because as I already said, he is the don of all prophets. He gets his coat. Let me grab my coat. He gets his coat. The mantle of his office. And this is mine. And, and he walks up to the water. He, he kind of gets in. And he just does that, and the river parts. Like, that's a party trick, isn't it? That's epic. That's way better than me falling into a swimming pool. He just whips the water, and it parts. And then they walk right through. And, um, and here's what happens. Verse 8, it says, Elijah folded his cloak together, struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry land. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Like Elijah is the best prophet that's ever existed in Israel's history. And he's like, I want a double share of your blessing. You know, like this is farm boy Elisha. This is Elisha who just came from an ordinary family who was nothing special. This was Elisha who spent his days with ox butt in his face. If he had a single portion, that would have been more than he deserved. And yet he asks for a double portion. And Elijah's totally cool with that. Like Elijah doesn't seem that this is, this is like a crazy thing. He says, he turns around and he's like, this is hard. He says, you have asked a difficult thing. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared. This is an amazing story. A chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. And then Elisha returned to the bank of the River Jordan. Wow. As I read this, this is one of those stories where I just wonder what was going through Elisha's head at this moment. 
Like I can, I can imagine him getting to that river. You know, he has already seen what Elijah did. He has seen Elijah part this and he gets there and, and I imagine him stepping into the water and it's, it's swirling around his ankles. And I, I imagine what I would have been feeling in that situation. Like what will happen when I whip this water myself? Have I got the blessing that Elijah had? You know, I've seen him do these miracles. Could, could God use me? Could, could God bless us in this same way? And I, I wonder whether he, he was filled with fear. And I wonder whether he was filled with doubt, because I think I would have been. And I also wonder whether he would have been more afraid that it would work or that it wouldn't. Because he would know that as soon as he hits that water, uh, that he has the mantle of prophet. That his life will never be the same. He won't be able to go back to his plows. He won't be able to go back to his farms. Everyone will look at him differently. He won't be able to walk into a village and just be anymore. All of a sudden, he's got this responsibility over his life that comes with the blessing. You know, when you pray for big things, sometimes it's scarier that your prayers are answered than when they're not. Because when they're answered, you can't ever be the same again. You have to be all in. And I imagine him standing there thinking, it's going to be different if I do. It's going to be different if I don't. You know, if I hit this and everything changes, my life is never going to be the same again. Am I up for this? And you read the story and he takes that cloak and he hits the water and it parts. And he walks through and he steps into a greater life than he ever could have imagined. And I wanted to tell you this story today really intentionally. Because this story for me, for me just feels exactly like where I think we're up to as a church. You see, we've been on this incredible journey as a church. Quick hands up. Who has joined this church since we arrived in the cinema? How many of us? Like so many of us. Before we were in the cinema, we, we used to meet in Didsbury. And we felt like God was calling us. It was a little bit like one of those one-word callings. It was like, you need to go. Uh, and as a church, we just said, yeah, we'll go. We'll trust you. We're, we're just going to go for it and see what you've got for us. And, and we ended up in Gorton Monastery because there was nothing in our area that was really going to fit us in this part of the city. So we ended up in Gorton Monastery. And then we traveled over to uh, like the Trafford Center for a while. And we, and we traveled over to Salford Keys and we were in the Odeon Cinema. And then we finally ended up here and we got this opportunity to come here. And we came here and then in this journey as well, we started to plant other churches. And we planted at Shaston in the message building. We planted in Merseybank. You know, we've planted in Fallowfield and we've seen God do these amazing things. And I'll tell you what I want to say right now. I'm so glad that as a church we had that faith at that time. Because I'm one of the people who joined after that. And, and if those of you who were here at that time hadn't made those decisions of faith, there wouldn't be space for me to be part of this church. 
In fact, most of us who put up our hands, we wouldn't be here if the church hadn't said, we're going to make ourselves about something greater. We're going to make ourselves about something bigger. Even though it might cost us, even though we're going to have to let go of some stuff, we're going to push forward. And that's been the journey. And now when we're here, I look around and what's amazing is we're full. We're full. You, you might look and be like, well, I've got a seat next to me. But the reality is, if you do any kind of study of churches, at 70%, churches are full. After that, we just move around seats. And you can literally track churches up to 70%. They might go a little bit above and then they'll just plateau at 70%. So for the last year, I've been like, Lord, we're full. What do we do? God, we're full. What do you have for us? And so when Pete and Lauren said, you know, we're going to plant a church in Partington, I was like, amazing. Like, whoever you can convince to take with you, you know, we, we, we're full. Take them. We need some seats. We need some space. And genuinely, they took some of our favorites, some people that we loved, and we missed them, but it was good. And it took us about two months for that number to come back up again and to get back to 70% and then to plateau once more. And we're full. And it's amazing. Our kids' groups, they're full. What an incredible place to be in as a church. And so we've been praying and we've been planning and we've had conversation after conversation saying, we believe that God wants us to grow. How are we going to create more space to reach out for more people? How are we going to be able to invite more people to what God is doing here? How are we going to help this to go further? And so we've got a really incredible announcement for you today. Can I have a drum roll, please, church? Can I have a bigger drum roll, please, church? The announcement is, we are going to trial launch a second service. Can I have a whoop whoop? From Easter, we're going to go to two services. And, and I'm saying it's a trial because what we know is that God wants us to grow. And we're like, we're just going to keep on trying things until we find out the way that he wants to bless us through this. And so what we want to do is we want to give this a trial period from Easter all the way through to the summer. And then in the summer, we're going to go back to one service, everybody together. And then in September, we're going to pray, we're going to plan, we're going to reflect and say, what is the next step on a much more long-term basis? And you might be sitting here and you might be saying, well, I thought our vision was to plant churches. Why are we talking about a second service? Well, I'm very glad you asked because I anticipated that question and I planned a response. You see, what you find and what we have found is that every time you plant a church, growth doesn't stop. It increases. And, and so the more we plant churches, the more our church seems to grow. And so we don't believe that it's an either or. We believe that it's a both and. We believe that God wants to bless what's happening here, that he's calling us to be fruitful here, and we're calling us, and he is calling us to multiply as well. So we're absolutely going to be planting churches. We're absolutely going to be sending things out further. But the next step for our community here is two services. And this isn't, it's not the kind of announcement which is like, a, we're doing two services and we've sorted all of this out. This is an announcement of a conversation, 
that we are talking about this, that we are working this out, that we are discussing this, that our team leaders are trying to see all the different intricacies. Because with every big step of faith, there's a million small steps of planning and the mundane that lead to the greater. And so we've got teams who are talking. And we're in this situation here where we don't have a lot more time, and so we need to chop things up a little bit. We need to get creative. And it feels a little bit like, genuinely, like we're standing in the water ourselves. And we could dream about going back and having an ordinary church. And for me, that's never going to be okay. A good enough church is never going to be good enough for us. We believe that God wants us to be an exceptional church. And so we're standing in this water and we're saying, God, we want you to lead us to greater. And I'll tell you, if God is in it, we want to be in it. And if he's not in it, we'd never want to be in it. So we're just following Jesus into this. But I don't want this to be a, the leaders have decided and we're just going to have to do what they say. I, I see this as our church. This isn't my church. I don't get to make these decisions, really. I see this as our church. And for this to work, it needs every single one of us to be in it because every single one of us will have to let go of some stuff. Every single one of us will have to make some sacrifices. And if I'm honest, if I look at our structures at the moment, we can't do this at the moment. Our teams aren't big enough to stretch across two services. Do you know the setup team is not really big enough to do one service. The AV team, they've got like four guys and a cat, which is why that screen kept on going down today. The cat was taking over. <laughs> Like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take this. We're going to have to own this. This is every single one of us. This isn't me standing in a river. This is all of us. And say, do you know what, Lord? If we go forward, will you part the waters? Will you lead to a double blessing for Ivy Kingsway in this next time? So I'm going to send out this week uh, an email and a questionnaire. And I want to hear back. I want to hear what God's saying to you. I want you to pray. I want you to have words. I want you to tell us. I want to know what God is doing in your life. I want to know what you value. I want to know what really helps you to be inviting your friends to this church. To help you to say, do you know what? I want to bring all of my neighbors. What helps that? How can we make this church even greater in 2017? Please stand with me. We've been talking about a year of acceleration. And the thing that we've said time and time again is that acceleration is not about, it's not about us doing more. It's not about us working harder. It's not about us tiring ourselves out. It's about us asking Jesus to get into the boat. It's about God taking our ordinary and transforming it into the extraordinary. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time in worship I want us to just give our hearts to Jesus and just say, Jesus, we want you to be center. We want to give everything to you. We want to follow you, Lord. We want you to call us. Lord, I am so grateful that you are behind our backs talking about us. I'm grateful that you're talking about our church, that you're making plans for this church and that your plans are to prosper us. Your plans are that we would have a hope and a greater future, that your plans are for our family, that we would be stronger in you, that we'd be closer to you. I thank you, God, that you have the best for us. I thank you, God, that we can trust you in everything because you're the only one who's seen our tomorrow. 
And so Father, we commit our futures to your hands. And we say, wherever your feet go, we want to follow. Wherever you take us, we want to go. And Lord, we're not, we're not lusting after great lives that are fake and are never gonna happen. And nor are we gonna be, we're gonna be satisfied in the ordinary because you tell us that greater things we can expect. And so as we get closer to you, as we partner with you, we pray that you take us from greater to greater. And Lord, I pray that you dispel any fears. I pray that you dispel any concerns and you give us hearts of faith. Lord, that we know that as we walk, you would split the waters so that we can walk straight through. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.